0: Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. What makes us modern, my granddaughter asked me, and I looked at her, and I thought, I don't know, honey. It's just that we're talking to young women. They're always modern. Do you feel modern, or do you feel archaic? Some days I feel a little of both. Thank you for joining us. Let's see, I want to tell you, there are always new things on the website, still sings and dances. There's a give button, which my board is always happy when I remind you of, and I always want to say thank you. Um, You bless us. The Lord has never forsaken us in all the years that we formerly, homemakers by choice, now modern homemakers, have been in existence, teaching, holding weekly sessions, podcasting, writing curricula, professionally recording. Okay, there's something I should mention. A couple of you have written and asked about certain segments of the ministry, like lessons on parenting or lessons on marriage. And a number of years ago, through the behest of uh, Precept Ministries, K Arthur, who is a friend in Precept Ministries, gave to homemakers a week of their staff and studios, and we flew out, 12 or 15 of us, to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I recorded 24 hours of teaching on the four main categories that we hope we continue to encourage you in. One, Who you are as a woman, a woman of faith. What I talked to you about the last time we were together, the woman of faith who chooses to love her enemies, who chooses to grow in her own relationship with Christ, who chooses to behave differently than the rest of the women in her world. A a wife, a mother, and who you are as a homemaker. So in those four categories, there are six hours of teaching under each one of those four categories. You'll laugh and cry at the iconic woman who presents them, but I am very pleased with that material. I would say that 15 years later, there are very few things that I would change about the teachings that I provided. So you can go to our website, it's called Choices Matter choices do matter. Thank you for writing us. I'd be so delighted to hear from you after my very earnest message on loving your enemies. Nice and easy, mac and cheesy, Mrs. Aunt louise peasy um, No, it isn't nice and easy to be living in American culture right now and being reminded of the presidential election which we are about to embrace. Well, today I'm uh, wanting to talk to you about a phrase called to care. And this lesson is a shout out to my niece Maggie. Now, this lesson comes to you, the title of it comes to you uh, from a quote And the quote is, called to care, not to cure. Do you want me to say that again? If that knocks you over as much as it still knocks me over, you'll want to hear it again. Called to care, not to cure. Hmm. Don't you want to cure things? Don't you want to fix your husband, your children, your house, your friends, your church, your country? yes, 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 and after all, I have so much to offer. But God really calls us to care. And as we wind down this terrific time I've had in introducing you to my friends, the thought of bringing this material to you settled in my heart and I've decided to do it. Well, one of my friends who you did not get to meet, Susan Larson, She is my oldest friend. I don't mean oldest, we're the same age. But she is the friend I've had the longest. And we recently had a telephone conversation. And as you have listened to these broadcasts, you know that my question has been, tell the audience how you remember our first meeting. So I said to Susan, so Susan, how do you remember the first time you remember me or met me? And she quickly said, oh, easy. We were in the fifth grade, and you were standing in the corner with gum on your nose. (laughs) Well, that's pretty memorable, isn't it? And for those of you who have been around long enough, you have heard me tell the story of Mr. Lewis whose class I was in, and Mr. Lewis is famous for having taping my mouth and tying me to the seat with a piece of rope. And on his behalf, let me say that this Italian girl from a broken home with some form of ADD or ADHD was driving him crazy. I probably would have done the same thing. But before the tying on the chair and taping of the mouth... I obviously had gum on my nose. Now, whether that was the first time we met or not, that's Susan's version. My version is second grade. And in second grade, I think you're eight or nine years old. And you know, you're at that age, you already begin to know that three's a crowd. You know, she's my best friend. No, she's my best friend. No, I'm her best friend. And then twosies are better than threesies. And Susan became one of my twosies. I remember that. Well, maybe it was in the fifth grade, though not in the second grade. Our next two times together, I want to share a bit of my life. A long friend, uh, some theories, some philosophies, some formulas, and how over the last 60 years, my friendship with Susan, which has been long-term, and my friendship with some material that I'm calling Call to Care has changed who I am. I do wish she was here so you could hear her laugh and how she tells a story. She is a great rememberer, that's why I probably think she's right about the fifth grade and the gum on my nose, and she adds color with words and style. Susan and I traveled together through grammar school and high school. We belonged to the same high school sorority, and these high school sororities were just modeled after sororities on college campuses, readying us for college, but they also readied our community for the charitable, generous, sacrificial things a gaggle of girls in the high school could do to help their community, so the school propagated them. Oh, which sorority you got into was just like sorority in college. We parted ways when we left for college, and later we established marriages and families and careers that did not naturally cross each other's paths, but we continued to stay. And you know, if you are at all a part of Modern Homemakers, that staying is a very important thing to me. In friendship with God and others, staying matters. My daughter turned 50 years old this year, and it was Susan who hosted the baby shower in Chicago with old friends and family. That's staying. That's what it looks like to be together for a long period of time. We have not lived in the same town since high school. Susan stayed close to Chicago in the Chicagoland area, and I moved, then she moved, and then she's owned two places, one in the north and one in the south, and uh, we've been in Arizona for 40 plus years. But that has not kept us from seeing one another. Not where we lived, or the time we had, or our engagement in life. Susan was a very active art consultant, art purveyor, art seller. She became amazingly knowledgeable in this industry and excelled in it like she excelled in everything she tried. And because I loved art, it was just one more reason to hang with her. Uh, I remember her telling me about hand-delivering a Picasso. I said, you touched it? You had your... Well, I never touched it, but she hand-delivered a Picasso to another city by traveling on the plane with it and then the insurance and how she did it. It was very exciting to be a part of what Susan was doing in her way. In some ways, the call to care for me has been fostered by Susan, an intimate on one side and a group of people who I learned this call to care from afar and this group of people are a group of people that my husband and I met many years ago. We were privileged to be invited to engage with them. They are men and women in Washington DC and this invitation brought us to Washington DC to engage with them on more than one occasion. A handful of these folks are the people who work tirelessly every year to assist the congressmen and women who plan and offer an annual presidential prayer breakfast. Did you know that went on? It's the first Thursday in February every year, and C-SPAN puts it on air. So for all the years that our friends have been going, and we have not been going to all of them, we've been able to watch and see and see our presidents who have shown up for these events. These leaders engage in a practice of availability, friendship, and support. Availability, friendship, and support. And when I think of those three words, I think of the relationship that Susan and I have had. While we haven't lived in the same area, I think Susan feels the same way I do. When I see her name on my screen, I want to push the hit button and talk. I, I, can, uh, I can push the hit button and say, can't talk now, I'll call you later. And it's like that. It's not an old relationship that I have to start out and describe. She knows what's going on in my life. I know what's going on in her life. We've not always agreed on everything through the years, but we have been available Our friendship has continued, and I count on her support, and I believe she counts on my support. Well, former Senator Mark Hatfield from Oregon, who was the chairman on Committee of Appropriations over his 30 years as a senator, had a conversation, and the conversation went like this. The phone rang, he picked it up, and it was another person saying, Hey, Mark. Hey, Senator. Hey, I live in Oregon. Hey, I need a favor. Hey, what can you do for me? You're the Senator. You're in a place where you can do something for me. And there was quite a lot of conversation that that was a common occurrence. I think about men and women in the world today who must have that often. Bill Gates wonder how many times the phone rings or he gets a letter or an email that says, hey, I know you're stunningly wealthy and give a lot of money away to needy organizations. Could I be one of those needy organizations? Well, Mark Hatfield and a man named Doug Ho and a number of other men and women who became a part of what was commonly called the fellowship decided that they were going to counteract that telephone call by making phone calls and saying, Hi, what can I do for you? Well, in the world of power in Washington, D.C., that was surprising. It was not only surprising, it was welcoming. And one of these individuals, whose name was Kent Holtling, a very profound thinker, a very engaging person, has in his later years in life, continued to mentor and encourage these three activities of availability, friendship, and support. And I have had the privilege of being engaged with Kent and his wife and some of Kent's materials. But on this trip that I took 25 or 30 years ago, I came back With a small, well, I don't know. I think it was an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. But in those days, I shrunk it down to fit my Time Maker size. And my Time Maker size is six and three quarters by three and three quarters. And I still have it in my planner, my Time Maker, which I carry with me all the time everywhere I go. I must tell you that I need a magnifying glass to read it now because I reduced it to fit on a piece of paper that small. And I can read it, but not easily. And I was looking at this recently and saying to myself, self, I think this is something I'd like to share, never shared this before publicly, with our listening audience. And so today, I'm going to do that. Well, Doug Coe is now in heaven. He has been referred to as the Stealth Billy Graham. In 2005, Coe was named one of the 25 most influential Evangelicals in the United States by Time magazine. It was Doug and his comments that inspired this series we just did, which is the best gift you can give is to introduce your friends to your other friends. That was his line. That's what he did. That's what he encouraged people to do. And he had friends all over the world. And it was patterned after what Paul experienced in the New Testament church. And now the church had moved around. Everybody wasn't living in one city anymore. And when you got to a new town, you just knocked on the door of a friend that someone told you to knock on the door of, and you would say, hi, I'm Paul's friend and that person would take you in. That's all you needed to do. You you didn't meet them ahead of time, you know, there wasn't an email sent or a text sent or a telephone or a letter. And what happened is that, as usual, good things can be turned sour. And People started taking advantage of that, and they would say, "Hi, I'm a friend of Paul." And in fact, they weren't a friend of Paul; they just wanted to have free housing and free food and all the help they could get. And and so you find in First Corinthians where Paul is saying to them, "You want credentials from me? I'm Paul. I, I came there and 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 helped start the church." And so this model, Doug thought, would be a great model to encourage people to be those three things that I've been mentioning, available, friendly, and provide support. Well, Doug was an inspiration, and he continues to be an inspiration, and you have been a part of that during this series on introducing your friends to me and my introducing my friends to you. As I said, I'm sorry you didn't get to meet Susan personally, and um, we're happy to continue sending the books, as I mentioned the last time we were together. So Kent shared the following with me decades ago. And so it's time for me now to share it with you. It's time to lean against the pressures that the world is pushing at us. Too often the standards of the world have become the standards of our relationships. She does something I don't like. I don't return her call. Uh, We don't get it fixed. We don't talk about it. We don't make time for one another. Francis Schaefer, who I'm going to be introducing you uh, to Francis and Edith Schaefer through some of the materials very soon. Um, he was a philosopher who came to faith very late in life, and he and his wife were amazing individuals. I have no idea except that I can tell you that God has led my life in the most unusual ways. There was no reason in the world, as a 20-year-old girl, I was very immature at 20 years old, Francis and Edith Schaefer were in the Chicagoland area and I went to hear them. I, I have no idea why I went. I don't remember going with anyone. I just went. It sounds like something I would do. But the bio, what they said about them, sounded like somebody I wanted to know. And they were profound people. That's all I... I there are so many things I could say about them and I will talk about them as we go forward. Profound people. But Francis Schaeffer said this phrase that I have been repeating for decades the spirit of the age, the spirit of the culture seeps into the church. And you've heard me say this since the pandemic the church isn't closed, or oh, the building may be closed, but you're the church, I'm the church, I'm not closed, I'm still being the church. And when the spirit of the age, the spirit of the culture, what I talked about when we were together the last time, the spirit of contempt, is a part of the culture. We have to be careful that that spirit of the age, the spirit of the culture, doesn't creep inside of us. Remember that you follow Christ, that you believe that he is the Savior of the church, and that you are a part of his church. So Kent offer these guidelines, which I've said I've carried around, and sort of used it as a how am I doing. It's my candle, which I hold up when I ask how am I evidencing a call to care, a call to care? It's easy to read a letter or an email. It's easy to say to someone, well done, or "At a girl, or you helped me so much. But I want you to know I am most affirmed. When I look at this document and I see how you in this audience and everyone who has touched my life so many people have touched my life. Someone recently wrote and asked about how I developed mentoring relationships and who was the first older woman in my life. And when I responded to it, I, I couldn't believe the gaggle of older women who were in my life when I was a young girl. I did not profess faith. I went to a church, but I did not had not said yes to Christ. And these women drop their nuggets of kindness and gold in Christ into my life. They reminded me of who I am. They have been also candles that I have held up. So I thank you for your kind words and affirmation. And I want to begin today by describing a couple of these steps and then finish him up the next time we're together. So let me just give you a piece of broad networking here of what it looks like. What it is is simply six. Oh, doesn't that sound small? Six. I wish I could tell you there were six easy steps, they are not a nice and easy mac and cheesy knot. This is a lifetime. This is, this is something to put your lifetime into. And then look at it and say, I am growing in these things. There are six steps. And today I'm going to talk about the first two, but I'm going to read all six to you. One, that we would love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength. Two, That we would maintain a priority in our relationships as demonstrated by time and attention. Very key phrase you'll hear. Three, that we will ask God to build into our lives godly habits that will be made visible as characteristics of a disciple. Four, that we will in heart. And action care for the poor. In heart and action care for the poor. Five, that we affirm that the work of Christ is to believe in Jesus in every situation. That we affirm that the work of Christ is to believe in Jesus in every situation. And six, that we will give ourselves to working the invisible rather than the visible. Who's invisible? God is invisible, and if you have said yes to God, he lives inside of you, offering you an opportunity to be the visible God, who is the invisible God who lives in you. So I want to look at the first one, and it is found in your scripture, in my Bible, in your Bible, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37, 38, and 39. I have this, highlighted in every Bible I own. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and prophets. Now remember that this commandment offering from Christ comes when the Pharisees and the Sadducees had been silenced by Christ. They had gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, says to Jesus, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Now remember, in those days, you know how many commandments there were? Not ten. Oh no, like 633. Which commandment, the lawyer says to Jesus, is the greatest? And this was his response. And I love, here's Jesus responding in really a Hebrew context because he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. He doesn't say with all your heart, comma, soul, comma, mind, comma. No, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. All. How close do you come to that? I certainly, I certainly am staggered how often I don't even hit the mark on one of them. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded regularly that that is what I'm leaning into, that is what I desire, that is what I aim. Not just that I love the Lord with all my mind or love the Lord with all my heart, or with all my strength or soul, but rather that I should love him with all three. And we have not talked here on the podcast about this tool, which is very faddish right now, called the Enneagram. But soon and very soon, I'm going to talk to you about it, because it includes ways that we would take this first of six things that I'm offering to you as a way of life and apply them in a way that's more practical. The second thing is that we would maintain a priority in our relationships as demonstrated by time and attention. And every time I would read this, I would be struck with how many times in my life the first book that I wrote was on organization and how to be organized, and one of the searches that I made first, the first set of research, was what is a priority? How do you establish a priority? And then I realized that people had priorities and I thought, how can a priority have priorities? Like how many priorities can you have that are a priority? I can still remember that question in my mind 30 years ago. How do we maintain a priority in our relationships? How? As demonstrated by time and attention. And I remember this being very popular and faddish among those of us who were trying to help people get organized and pay attention to what were the priorities of our life. And that was take out your checkbook. Oh, can't do that anymore, can you? How about you take out your cell phone or you take out your email and look at your bank statement if you still look at them. Look at your Visa card. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook and your calendar. That will tell you who's getting your time and attention. And what Kent offered were these five areas. The Lord, our spouse, our children, a few close friends, not necessarily those who live in your town, he wrote. And when I look at that, I think of several people who I am close to who do not live in my town. And especially today, I think of Susan Larson. And lastly, our ministry. Hmm. Sometimes we say the word ministry, and it sounds very churchy, doesn't it? But the word ministry is nothing more than to serve. It is service. So I leave these two of the six guidelines. Guidelines that help us be men and women that are called to care. Called to care, not to cure, not to fix, but called to care. We are Modern Homemakers, and I am Donna Otto, and I am very grateful that you joined us today, and I pray that these words, called to care, will be an encouragement to you. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Look today for something that you're called to care for.